0: This week's episode of the Art of the Cut podcast is brought to you by LaCie. As one of the leading media storage companies in the entertainment industry, LaSee has consistently brought innovative ideas to the market. By now, everyone knows the iconic orange rubber bumper that wraps the LaSie rugged drive. But did you know that LaSie has a rugged SSD? With the ability to transfer 4K raw video with speeds up to 4 megabytes per second hardware encryption, and a truly rugged design that will take most anything you can throw at it, including dropping it in water or running it over with a two-ton car. The Rugged SSD is a dream piece of equipment for any content creator who is on the move. For listeners of the Art of the Cut podcast, LaCie is offering 10% off the Rugged SSD or any other LaCie drive when you shop on FilmTools.com with coupon code LACIEPOD. That's L-A-C-I-E-P-O-D. At checkout to receive 10% off your Lassie purchase on filmtools.com. So, next time you need a new drive, head over to filmtools.com and use code LassiePod at checkout to get 10% off your Lassie purchase. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Dirk Westervelt, A.C.E., and Chris Patterson. Dirk is an Ace Eddie nominee for his work on Deadpool 2. His filmography also includes Logan, which was a previous Art of the Cut interview, Run All Night, and Journey to the Center of the Earth, among others. Chris has been associate editor on An Unfinished Life, Casanova, and Sunshine Cleaning, an additional editor on Whippet and Megan Levy. Today we talk about their work on Zombieland Double Tap. Dirk speaks first, then Chris. I noticed that this was your first time with this director. Do you guys want to talk about, um, how that worked out, how it's different to work with a new director than it is somebody that you've worked with multiple times?
1: Our director, Reuben Fleischer, he's, he's worked with basically the same editor through his whole career, like, you know, five movies, whatever they did before with Alan Baumgarten. But, um, there was a scheduling conflict, um, that Baumgarten had agreed to do, um, the movie uh, that actually didn't end up didn't end up going as it turned out, but by that time the you know the train had left the station. So and, and I'd been hired. Um, I came to this through the um, writers from Deadpool Two, uh, Paul and Rhett, who were also producers on this and wrote it. Obviously, um, so that, so that was my kind of my connection to them. They had they had sort of um, talked to Ruben about me, and then they reached out and they were getting pretty close to shooting by the time um, they um, called me. So. It was a pretty quick decision, and then um, I, I jumped on, and Chris and I had been trying to work together for, I don't know, 15 years or something that we've known each other, and, um, and so I called Chris to see if he could, he could join with me, and uh, fortunately that, that worked out. And yeah, that, our schedules finally aligned, and, uh, and <laughs> Dirk brought me on, and
2: uh, I got to, you know, it was a good experience. We had a lot of fun making the movie.
1: Um, So with Ruben, it was weird because they were already in Atlanta by the time they hired me. And I was here in L.A. and there was never a plan to send editorial on location. Uh, Cutting rooms were always going to stay in L.A. So initially they hired me, you know, basically just on phone conversations that I'd had with Ruben. Obviously knew Rhett and Paul from before, but, um, you know, Ruben and I had just spoken on the phone. Um, And then there was originally a plan to fly out and, you know, meet Reuben at some point early in production, but it never happened because, you know, we just started getting so much dailies in and everybody got so busy that we just kept going, um, just, just cutting away and they were shooting away. Um, so I actually never met Reuben in person until they came back from Atlanta at the end of the shoot. So at the beginning of the director's cut. So that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, we did send send him scenes and we were sort of working that way back and forth, but it was mainly um, through emails and texts and stuff. Um, whereas in the past, I think maybe on Logan, maybe we even talked about it. I did a lot of remote work with, with Mangold, but we were actually on FaceTime and had, you know, video kind of link up so that he could see, we could kind of work remotely that way. He could see the client monitor and that sort of thing. Um, in this case, we were just sort of sending scenes and getting, um, feedback, um, uh, making, making adjustments that way. Um, so that was kind of interesting to, to sort of be working with a director that you haven't, haven't met yet, you know, through the production phase of the movie. Um, so, but then he, you know, he, he came back at the end of production and we, uh, like settled into an ease, you know, during the, the production part, Chris and I would just split up scenes as they came in. There was, there was a lot of stuff coming in. They were on a very short schedule. They actually shot this in fewer days than the first Zombieland. Um, so, you know, two, two months shoot overall, so there's a lot of movie to get in that amount of time. Um, so, you know, we just did the best we could to, to stay on top of it as it came in the door and, and present Ruben with a pretty um, finesse cut as, as well as we could by the time he got back. So the, the, the assembly was in, in pretty decent shape. And with the two of us, you know, going, that was manageable.
2: We divvied up scenes, we cut a lot of the same scenes, and it was comedy, so there was tons of ad-libs. So there's, you know, 12 different ways, which joke works, and we would each, you know, kind of try different jokes and then combine and make the best scene out of all the different
1: pieces. Um,
0: So the schedule was two months uh, in Atlanta, followed by how much time until, uh, until now?
1: Uh, two months in Atlanta, and then a 10-week director's cut, which just based on the the studio schedule to be able to like come in and see it, because they usually like to see comedies with an audience, and before they could schedule that, we probably got an extra, you know, because a lot of times they like to start the 10 weeks right when production stops now. They used to give editors a week or two to finish the assembly, but that often gets left by the wayside now, um, unfortunately, because I think it's a really valuable and important time to kind of get a cut in, in good shape to start a director's cut. But um, in this case, we started immediately sort of when he got back. I mean, he gave us a few days. I think he came in, um, there, was, there was probably four or five days before he came into the cutting room after he finished shooting. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, we ended up getting an extra uh, week and a half or so before the studio could schedule their screening anyway. So we had about an 11 week period after the assembly. And then, um, then it was an extremely compressed schedule. I mean, this, this, this thing, this is the shortest post I've had Um, on a studio thing anyway And, and um we had in that time we had three previews four including the studio screening which had an audience but we didn't um sort of do numbers on and stuff we just wanted to fill a room full of people um then we had two screenings here in la two previews here in la in long beach and one in in kansas um and we would you know, make adjustments, we record the, the audience. In this case, we, we actually film the audience kind of infrared so you can see people's reactions in, in dark theater to see what, what they're really connecting with. Um, but it, the, the main ingredient is the, the laugh track to that because you can kind of settle arguments about which jokes hit and you know, um, sort of finesse stuff to, to, uh, to hit the comedy um, as, as sharply as, as possible um using that so so those screenings are very helpful um but it was a lot of stuff to get in in a really short period of time um we have a ton of visual effects you know third act has has a, a ton of cg work um so just just to get all that stuff done in time was was a challenge
0: did you know about that compressed schedule ahead of time that's why you wanted to bring chris on or
1: yeah the schedule was was short um from the get-go so so that was pretty apparent that we could use um uh, you know the, the help and not just have one editor working um, so that was that was definitely definitely part of it um i mean like i said chris and i've been you know trying to work together for a long time and and um and so you know would have would have been trying to bring him on anyway but as i do on on most these movies i've been starting last few years but he's been he's been very busy you know he's been working with with michael Kahn and steven spielberg and stuff so um he's been on that train for a while so it was just it was just that our schedules coordinated on this one but the the extra help was definitely um, needed
2: yeah and it was a it was a lot of fun and it was you know Dirk is super collaborative and you know Ruben would bounce back and forth from my room to Dirk's room you know to let us actually get work done and then also sit with us and give us very detailed notes so it worked out because we both you know it, 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 it was a good mesh I think as
1: far as as that goes, I think that's a really important um, part of having, you know, or value to having the two editors is this thing of him being able to bounce back and forth because instead of the, the editor, kind of, the director kind of waiting for the editor to accomplish a set of notes or something, um, you know, you can, you can kind of keep him busy between the two of us and, and we can just keep bouncing back and forth, uh, moving, the, moving the thing along.
0: Give me some detail about how that worked because obviously once the director is there with you, you're into having reels put together, or at least sequences. Were you each working on entire sequences of scenes, or were you working on individual scenes when you were working with the director?
1: And I think we talked about this a little bit on Log and like how this stuff gets gets split up. And it's I I don't have like a like some editors just want like I have my scenes and you have your scenes and like we split it up or we split it up by reels or something and are sort of rigid that way. I'm a lot more flexible in terms of the way that, you know, I don't, have, I don't have a strong preference in terms of how stuff gets broken up that way. And I actually like to have somebody go through the stuff that I've been through. Cause like they might see something fresh that I didn't and I get an idea from that. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we were both through and there was, you know, there was a lot of stuff where I had a couple scenes on my plate with Ruben or something. I knew that I wasn't going to get to one and, so, and also wanted to see what Chris would come up with. So I just hand him that. Um, you know, and vice, vice, versa. So there was, there was a lot of scenes that we were both through, I would say, you know, most of them, um, at some point in time, um, rather than, you know, just, I had, you know, just, I had reels one, two and five or whatever. And, and you had three and four. It wasn't, it was, it was a lot more, um, collaborative than that.
0: Because the scenes are in sequence at that point or in reels, were you working in, does it help to work in a bigger chunk with Ruben or does he just like to work in here's one scene, let's get this one scene locked in, and then we'll worry about stuff later.
2: Uh, that's interesting. I mean, it was such a compressed schedule that some, we had to try things. So if we were getting ready for a preview and Ruben wanted to try a bunch of things, yeah, we'd divvy stuff up. Sometimes I'd go into my room, work on a, an action scene, like, hey, let's punch this action scene up, and I'd do a bunch of it and I'd bring it into Dirk's room and show Dirk and Ruben, and they'd be like, these six things out of the 12 things you did are awesome, let's put them in. And these other 12 things are not so great, let's not put them in. Things like, there was a lot of that. Um, but it was always working towards the next screening. It was it was almost like, it didn't feel like we were working to finish the movie, it felt like we were just getting to the next screening and then finally when all the screenings were done, we did the fine tuning and, and, and but it was a lot of just getting, because of the, you know, preview and then you got a week and a half and another preview and it was a lot of just getting stuff tighter and better and you know making sure all the good jokes are in and the jokes that don't land are out and and also testing like one of the producers might say I really think this joke will work put it in and we'd put it in and either he
1: would be right or he would be wrong and we'd go to the tape yeah. after the preview and be like you were right or, yeah, yeah. And all the screenings went from the beginning kind of went really well. So it was always just a matter of, you know, getting it, getting it better. I mean, we're getting, getting a good response right from the start, but that with that acceleration thing, like Chris said, I mean, you know, my personal preference is to try to start thinking about the movie, at least in, in broad sections, like reels, you know, at least, or, you know, acts or, or, or to kind of have that big picture thing. I mean, we always have to have it. We always have to look at it that way. Yeah. You know, just for the storytelling. Um, but on this schedule and, and you know, with, uh, with Ruben, it was probably a little more, you know, microcosm than macro, like where we were, you know, really just d- digging into scenes a lot and then, you know, it, it, hopefully having time to sort of run through a reel. But, you know, you'd always be catching something like we try to run through a whole reel and it was like we'd always want to change some something before we get to the end. So there was less of that than I usually like to do.
0: Did you guys ever match the audience screening video capture with your actual timeline, or did you just look at them separately?
2: Always, no. We always. No, we'd do like a picture-in-picture, so you'd have the audience screening with the audio, and then the movie, I, we would picture-in-picture up so we
1: could see everything. Um, and it, it's a great way to do it. There was one where, um, the Kansas City one, where we didn't have video and we just had sounds. We just laid the sound up. We kind of recorded that one ourselves because they weren't sending people out to do it. Um, so then we just, we just have the sound up. And I've been in the past, this is actually my first time, I think Chris has had it before, but this was my first time having video of the audience. We usually always just had, had the audio, like on, you know, on Deadpool 2 or whatever, we just recorded the, um, the audience for the laugh track.
0: Beyond the audio of people laughing and stuff, how did that affect what you were doing or uh, seeing your edit beyond just, Oh, the audience got that joke that hit. Well, great.
1: I would say not that much. I think the audio is way more important. Um, uh, there was some where it's like, Oh, well let's dig into this. The, the the audio reaction is a little muted. Let's see where people like, do they look engrossed or something? And you'd kind of try to read the tea leaves there. But it's you know for the most part you start to just notice oh that guy's eating a lot of popcorn yeah it's more it's more like <laughs> yeah that guy just spilled his soda yeah. on himself or something you <laughs> see little funny things or wow those two are affectionate or yeah. oh yeah there was yeah, one. Yeah.
2: yeah 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 um, um, yeah I mean some of it I guess is is somewhat helpful for like visual gags so you can see what they're looking at if it's not like a joke joke but a visual gag but um yeah for the most part yeah definitely the audio is more helpful but the studio comes out and sets up the recording so it's it's nice to have
0: you guys talked a lot about uh kind of the micro editing of making sure each scene is hitting and the comedy is of a joke specifically is working for example what about the larger structural considerations like balancing the scary with the funny or something like that did did that happen later or throughout, obviously throughout the process?
1: We were conscious of it the whole time. Uh, for sure, it's a big part of making a movie like this and this kind of, you know, like uh, genre mashup. Um, is the same thing also, Dead Plus has the same kind of considerations, like, you know, when, when do you just, you know, do you, when do you actually, can you lean into drama? When do you just, when are you just going for the laughs? Or when is the, the action or the, you know, the, the threat, the most important thing? Um, so we're conscious of that for sure the whole time, and it's a big part of, you know, this movie and making a movie like this. Um, it, you know, the script, there's, you, 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 this movie, compared to the first one, I'd say, like, it, it, I think it's funnier, and I think that, that's the response we've gotten from most of the audience, that the comedy is a, is a bigger component even than it was in the first one. Um, you know, the some of the stuff the kind of heart stuff that was in the first one, like, you know, with, Woody's, with uh, Tallahassee's son and the dog and that, all that stuff is, you know, that was pretty hard to achieve that level again. And I'm not sure if we did, you know, we tried to, um, to lean into our drama where we could, um, but it's a, you know, it's a little bit different in terms of the, the mix, the, the recipe, the formula that way. Um, but we're always, it was always a consideration of, you know, how do we, how do we make sure and, and, keep the heart and keep the, the important character beats that, that may not be for laughs, um, you know, so that we're not just, you know, going to the laugh track and keeping everything that, that, um, that got a big reaction there. But, um, you know, with these, with these characters that are, that are, uh, beloved and, and have this chemistry among themselves and stuff, it's really important to, to keep that, that, character story uh drama part working as well
2: yeah and they the 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 four main characters play off each other so well i mean they're like a family and, and so that stuff worked very well i i think that the action pieces in this one are a lot bigger than the first one as well so it was also like getting the action to really work well but also not forgetting that it's not a Michael Bay movie, it's not an action movie. Like sometimes with action comedies during the action scenes they forget that it's a comedy. And I don't think I think we managed to, to strike that balance pretty well in this one. Um, the action is great, but there's also a lot of humor and,
1: and heart in it. So we'd have to be careful in places like there's there were things in the third act where um, you know there was a lot of comedy in within the the action, but we started to lose the thread at some point and we needed to, you know, dial back the comedy a bit or that, that component. And sometimes it was just by having a different piece of score, um, you know, or maybe there was a joke that was a B joke and not an A joke that we didn't need in the middle of a scene that, that had some, that was delivering some serious information, uh, that sort of thing. Um, we also invented some shots later in the process that, that kind of gave us, scope and threat um, within sections where we were massaging that, that border between comedy and action and and stakes. Um, So there's, you know, just you're always kind of massaging that, that formula.
0: Is there anything you can think of without giving away uh, plot points where you had to change from the script to what you ended up with taking things out, adding things, changing things, intercutting things?
1: it's a road movie like much like the first movie and and they're on a mission you know like there, there was a mission in that movie but it uh and a lot of movies but it they're you know sometimes on a road movie you go on a detour or something and there was a, there was a section in the movie where we might have gotten off our main thread a little too long and in, in initial cuts and so there was a lot of uh thinking and and reworking that section in terms of making it, uh, um, you know, fleeter and sort of distilling it down to the, to the, to the really great stuff. It's also was consistently one of the favorite sections of the movie because there's such great stuff in it. Um, So, you know, you have to, you have to tread carefully through through a section like that um, you know where you've got these competing agendas that people did, did want to like move along or they did feel like like maybe we you know you get on a on an off ramp for too long but they also loved so many components of it so finding the the right length and, and um, finding what to, to trim in, in that section was was a big part of our process I'm
0: sure that's a difficult storytelling aspect that, you know cutting that down is probably better for the story but the audience and maybe even studio executives are telling you no we love that section but it's hindering the forward momentum
1: yeah i mean that that, that is that is a difficult choice you get a little you know sophie's choice there sometimes um the studio executives less so because they generally always just want everything shorter <laughs> Um, As long as you're not, you know, getting out their one favorite thing. And you do run into that, you know, you're like, well, that's the one thing that actually didn't get such a reaction, you know, from the audience, but producer A or studio person B or whatever, that happens to be their, their favorite joke for some personal reason. Um, So you sometimes are, you know, and you have a lot of people involved on a movie like this. You have a lot of um, producers and writers and studio folks and um, stuff, you know, uh, that, that have opinions, so that's a big part of the juggling too. Navigating all that is a big part of what we have to do. Is all those you know competing uh, requirements, but we just always have to remind ourselves or, or have to know that the, that we're in there for the service of the story, you know, in service to the story.
2: Yeah, and I think we did a good
1: job with that
2: with that with the off ramp that we took, which was a very good off ramp keeping the other plot threads alive during that off-ramp is something that we had to figure out how to do, and I think we figured it out.
0: Uh, with comedy, yeah. you've got a great... I mean, that's a great uh, lineup of actors that you're working with there. Um Were you guys trying to just find a great performance and stay out of the way? Or were you needing to consciously manipulate moments through editing to be able to enhance the comedy? What was kind of the ratio or what did you find? Hey, we're better off just putting it on a wide shot or a two shot and letting these two actors do their thing.
1: I mean, it's a it's a total wealth of, you know, of footage. Unbelievable yeah. acting. Yeah. I mean, with, you've got with this cast, it's it's pretty. Um, it's an embarrassment of riches, and you know. And then there was new people that, that came into it that were amazing as well. So I mean, that's really. I mean, you know, why we're able to make the, you know this movie on this schedule and everything else is is, is when you bring people like that together, you know, um, and they have a rapport with Ruben as well as they all did the first movie together as far in terms of the core cast. Um, so the, just just amazing footage. Um, you know, a lot of them are doing incredible things with their faces. So I don't know if the rule of like comedy playing in a wide is was as as big a part of this movie as it might be on some. I and mean, there's definitely places where that applies. But they're, you know, these actors are just always giving you something amazing. Like a you know, when they're when they're just reacting, when somebody else is on a monologue, they're still doing amazing things with their faces. So. Um, it's really a lot about you know being on those faces at the right moment. Um, so it was just you know and they would give you incredible variations that you'd have several versions that were all good. So just choosing between those was a big part of what we had to do. But you know they they it was it was never um, a, a problem of not having great stuff. And I think that was also where it was beneficial to have
2: two of us. And also you know Reuben is super collaborative. So if our PA or apprentice saw something really good, they were more than welcome to bring it up and say like, Hey, what about this thing? And if it worked, we would use it. Um, But also we were able to cut so many versions of each screen. I mean, of each scene, you know, going down different ad lib kind of roads so that we could have three or four cuts with different sets of jokes and see which ones are working and see if there's ways to combine other ones. And that's why I think we ended up with the best, you know, with we were able to mine every frame of the dailies. Be it, you know, either, you know, Ruben would come into my room and just look at all takes and find other funny things or do it with Dirk and we would just build it all together.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about that uh, ad lib, cutting ad lib, because, right, if somebody goes down a, a certain path in a scene, that might not. Uh, carry over to the next take of that same, exactly. uh, that same Yeah, talk to me the, about how you deal saw, with
2: that I mean some of it you have to uh, not so much in this movie but some of it you would if you wanted to go down a certain path that the other actors didn't get on their coverage you would have to kind of Frankenstein it together uh, sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't the stuff that worked stayed in the movie the stuff that didn't obviously didn't stay in the movie Um But yeah, it's a lot, uh, you know, Emma and Jesse were just amazing at coming up with things like that. And then, you know, you'd see them in between takes. They'd be like, why don't I say this and you say this and then you do this. And they would just
1: work it out. And Ruben would come in and be like, yeah, I do. And... It was it was pretty amazing. The actors themselves, and you know, with Ruben, were very good at tracking where they would ad lib into something good, and then try to pick it up on the next setup, so that you so that you had a a, um, a matching piece to continue on that thread. Um, but a lot of times, it's just you know, at first, it's just trial and error. I mean, just trying to get things to work. And we did you know, there's a lot of kind of split comps and things that we did in this movie to to make things like that work as well. Um, you know, you just you, you you find something that's kind of golden. and you just have to try to find a way to make it make it work with the rest of the material if it wasn't you know part of the original plan.
0: Great, and by split comp, you're saying that you've got a wide shot or a two shot, and you're choosing one performance on one side of the screen and a different yeah, table for or example, or not
1: even in overs and and uh, yeah, wide shots all you know all over the place.
0: And then the other thing that I noticed that you were saying, Chris, I think was that you were because you, neither one of you were on location, but you said you could hear them talk between them so the camera is rolling between takes i'm assuming if
2: they do a series i always tend to watch the stuff in between because you can pick up on what the director you know especially if you're not in the same city with the director you can pick up that he really liked something in this particular take then you know you're gonna make sure that ends up in the cut you know um so listening to what they say in between takes and before and after cut is
1: pretty helpful and they did a lot of series on this one, so there was a lot of that. Um, Part of yeah, the schedule rolling. and comedies in general.
0: No, I could see that in a comedy that you just kind of want to go, hey, you know, keep it rolling, let's take it from the top. Yeah, that's right. But that's, that's awesome to be able to hear the director and the actors because you kind of know, oh, that's what they thought worked. So at least you, right, know, but... you have that. Uh, let's talk about process a little bit, some fine detail in process. When you guys start assembling scenes, when do you start assembling scenes back to back? Do you start as soon as you've got scene 17 and scene 18, you put them together, or are you waiting until the end of dailies? I'll
1: put them together from as soon as you have adjoining scenes, and they, so the movie starts to build itself into these like clumps. You know, so you get 17, 18, and then you might get 23 and 24 or whatever, and then, um, you know, like those pieces grow on their own. And then uh, eventually, even if, like somewhere towards the end of the assembly generally, uh, even if there are still scenes missing in between, try to sort of block them out with just the slug or whatever into reels so that then you've got kind of, you know, everybody can, can go to the reels to work on. It's just easier for workflow in the cutting room. Um, to get into reels uh, sooner than, than later. But it usually happens. For, for me, it usually happens around the, um, the last couple of weeks of the assembly. Uh, yeah. For, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, and once you do that, once you've got those either reels or little sub-sequences, um, do you try to stay in those, or are you jumping back to the original cuts of the scenes themselves uh, for any purpose? Why would you do that and not stay in the longer multi-scene sequence?
1: Right, sometimes it's just easier to have a sh- shorter, you know, if you're in a really intense action scene or something and it has just a, a ton of clips of its own and I've got like, I, I stack a lot of alts in my timeline so the timeline itself can get quite complicated um, and messy. Um, so if, if there's something like that, I might just wanna pull that scene out and just work on it in its own sub clip. And if other people have other things to do in other places in the reel, I might leave the reel in there and just let everybody know either by leaving a note in the bin or, or um, you know, just passing it around so, so that they don't touch that scene that I'm in, but then other things can progress in the reel. Um, and then, then I'll put it, you know, cut it back in when I'm done with that, that pass on it. Um, generally, you, I work in reels after, you know, I think we both kind of I, generally try to stay in reels unless somebody else needs some other part of that reel.
2: Yeah, I would agree with Dirk, exactly. Like most of the scenes I would work in reels unless it was a particularly complicated action sequence with a ton of audio tracks and video tracks and vis effects. Sometimes I just sub clip that out to work on it in case anything goes wrong sync wise. I don't screw up the whole reel and I can just, it's easier to fix, but yeah. for the And also there were times where, you know, Dirk and Ruben would be working in a reel and Ruben would say, hey, try this, something with this scene it was in the same reel I'd just take it out of the reel as a sub clip and work on it until they were done and,
1: and then show it after or something and that maybe you know that, that taking that big scene and complicated scene out of the reel and working on it separately the inclination to do that maybe partly just psychological it's just like a, a more yeah. finite thing that you can wrap your mind around and you know Somehow, when you've got the whole reel on there and you're in, into something that nitty-gritty it uh,
0: helps you focus yeah it yeah. helps you focus mm-hmm. on it somehow yeah Uh, what are you guys, uh, this is a super technical question. You might not be able to answer it, uh, without the timeline in front of you, but how are you working vertically? Like you were saying, Oh, we've got the, we've got the audience reactions on a track, you know, what are, what's happening in your timeline vertically?
1: So we don't keep the audience reactions in our main cut. We just keep those in a separate bin that we can, you know, greener. Yeah. just a reference thing. Um, So our timeline, it undergoes an evolution from the assembly through post. But in the assembly, I do a lot of alts, like I I cut a lot of alts on top of each other where I might have my my three or five favorite versions of a line or something all stacked on top of each other. Sometimes I have different cut points underneath um like they'll be you know like i'm actually going to stay on this shot on the visible layer that's the whole top and underneath i liked it in in a two-shot combo so i might have that underneath that um, i might have a, a separate cut of that little bit um so my timeline tends to get pretty crazy like vertically and it looks like a, a bit like a hong kong timeline at some point in in the assembly you know with um you know, and if it, because of those cuts being all, so awesome, I might have like two pieces hovering over here, and there's not even anything on this track, so it, it gets a little um, chaotic for people that aren't used to it. But at some point, uh, we start to clean that up, and it's usually sometime in the director's cut because it just gets easier for everyone else to work on it. I can kind of archive those and still have those alts underneath if I want to go uh, looking for something for a particular moment. Um, but then once we start to clean things up, there's different. Ways. I mean, and, and I tend to leave it, a lot of it, in my last few shows, a lot of it left up to the, the VFX editor because they're the ones really dealing with, you know, carrying a bunch of versions and tracking information and all that kind of stuff. So we just have a discussion beforehand on, um, on Logan and Deadpool 2 the last two that, that I did, we ended up having like a, a kind of a super that would show up in the, the gen track that, you know, so it was an easy way for them to create quick times. that would always have the, the shot numbers in it. Um, on our show, we had two VFX editors, Ed Marsh and James Liu, who are both extremely uh, great at their jobs. And um, they had a different system of doing these, a, a different timecode generator. So in this one, like on the other, most of the other recent shows I've been on, we sort of started stacking stuff from the bottom and it would be you know, the, the, like in a classic example would be the daily on the bottom and then you'd have your first VFX temp on the next layer. Um, this would be color coded a certain way. Then you'd have your first VFX versions from the vendors coming in. Sometimes they start with the version zero which is just a, the, the plate regurgitated just so they can start tracking it before they've done any work to it. And then version one and 10 and 20 and so on stacked up above that um, and then eventually a final on top which had its own color coding. Um, and then some, you know, device by which they, they they don't have to create like a title or change the title every time for the quick times that they have to make for their VFX people. On this one, it was a little more and I don't know if Chris you might have worked this out with those guys had more communication about
2: Yeah, them. I mean Ed basically he had his his, his layer with the tags and then we had VizFX underneath it and there were color coding. But we also had, you know we kinda had different spots for the like in the first one there were all those different motion graphics things so we had different spots for the motion graphics
1: um so they're more like tracks assigned to certain things so like that layer their their gen track that would show the names and everything was always on on v20 for example and then you know the the optical type stuff that chris was just mentioning would always be on v10 or whatever yeah and there was one section of the movie that
2: got so kind of wacky that we had we used all the avid tracks and we uh, look we used 24 (laughs) video tracks and we had to keep doing mix downs and stuff and then with the audio um i'm used to working in lcr this is the first time that i've actually cut in 5.1 and after we did our first temp mix we just kept our production dialogue but muted it and then we would just get stems of you know 5.1 dialogue 5.1 effects 5.1 Backgrounds and music, and we just carried that, and it was super easy.
1: Um, we, we worked in LCR until our first temp, so we weren't cutting five one effects in the cutting room until we got stuff back from the sound guys, and then we switched and got back, you know, the surround speakers and, and switched to five one. Um, I mean, we always had, you know, we could have always had five one in our timeline, obviously, but we just weren't, you know, doing that. Um, we waited
2: for the sound department right. to get involved, but but it was always the plan, and it and it it. it makes it a lot easier than carrying all the you know because for the assembly we're doing all this temp sound and temp music and stuff so um, and yeah there's a lot of music and in this movie and
0: chris were you doing similar versioning stuff layering it um or were, do you have a different uh, method got that you I kind of used? used
2: to doing that on previous shows, never quite as extreme as Dirk did, but I did steal a few tips from Dirk. I mean, I learned from every editor I've ever worked with I've learned from. Um, yeah, you got to no, no exception here. I've definitely stolen some tips uh, from his workflow because it is great to have all those options and not have to have 10 different versions of the cut in your bin. You have one version, but you know there's like on V1
1: is the old way I used to have it on V3 is the, you know, it's, uh, it's super helpful. When you get used to it and the director starts asking you for, well, do we have anything else on this and something? And you know, you have, you know, a couple of good um, alts that you can show them almost immediately without having to go even back to the dailies. Although we did do scripting as well um, yeah. on this show where, you know, we, we have to kind of triage it because scripting the whole movie is so labor intensive, um, but we did our bigger scenes yeah especially with the ad-libbing
2: scripting you know having to write in all the different versions of what they're saying it takes
1: it takes time it takes a lot of time yeah, and you you've had so scenes bad. where there might be you know 50 ad-lib lines or something and you know so somebody's got to write all that up and then mark them up and stuff but it is very helpful but we had an
2: awesome crew and yeah everyone worked their their
1: butts off on this movie
0: yeah amazing amazing crew like is like just everybody was just the absolute best i'd heard uh more when maybe when i started doing these interviews that people felt like using that scripting feature on ad lib and improvisational comedy just was pointless and lately more and more people are saying no you just tr- transcribe it all and it's great I mean, it's
2: just manpower. It's it's labor-intensive, and if you have a smaller movie that has one editor and one assistant, it's not going to happen. If you have a a movie that has a slightly bigger crew and you can have a few apprentices on to help out with that or other assistants, then it's doable. But, yeah, no, that's the big thing is it's labor-intensive. Because when I first started, I only used to script the action stuff so that I could know where, you know... The car races through the scene here and then turns onto this street. And that way I could put the action stuff together really easily. But now, you know, scripting the dialogue really helps.
0: So you're you're actually writing in the script what happens so that you can...
2: No, so just uh, for the action scripting? stuff. I mean, just like going through the line script and finding out, you know, this setup is for when the car turns this corner. That's what it's for. So that's where it goes, you know. And having everything laid out. I mean, obviously you make changes and stuff, but just to build the initial scene, having it laid out perfectly,
1: just like the line script helps. But did you? So did you build those like into action breakdowns, or when you're when you're doing that, or do you have them in the in the script, like in the avid script or Yeah, I would way? do it in the avid in script, the avid script, script yeah. So you have like a. I usually for those for action really stuff in the past, I usually break it down differently. We haven't used the scripting that much for that. Um, I've had it, I usually kind of do action breakdowns instead of that. Like, so you have all of the car going left on Main Street or whatever in, in one kind of section, and all of the straightaway that follows. Um, that's yeah, I don't know why we're
2: talking about car chases, but... <laughs> There's a little one in here. Yeah, <laughs> kind of.
0: Um, what about uh, the way you approach these scenes? Are either one of you guys selects real guys, or are you always just going back to your dailies? How are you building scenes... Um, from starting to watch dailies and then building a scene from that dailies viewing,
1: I definitely pull selects as I'm as I'm going through dailies. Um, so I'll have these selects reels, and then even within those, I'll have my little locators at specific beats of, of things. Um, so then I have those always to pull from. Um, I, sometimes I build them into sequences depending on the scene. Um, just so that I can easily drag through like like that kind of breakdown that I just mentioned for you know like a, an action scene whether it be a car chase or something okay. else but um, and then I also just have bins that just have
0: clips of like all these little beats in them, and, and I'll throw a description on there um, Are those things you sub clip that you're saying you've got the little I, beats? I sub clip them but
1: I usually cut them into a sequence and then sub clip them out of the sequence because I don't want them to be sub clips when I match frame to them I want them to a match frame to the original subclip and not the subclip subclip. Um so I usually build them build them into a sequence and then subclip them out of there so that it's a sub sequence.
0: What about you Chris?
2: I mean I like having the bin and kind of a cam order so you know from wide shot down to you know close up and in the and then the inserts all go on the bottom. And then yeah, I'll I'll pull selects and in my select roll I'll also try to put that in cam order so basically or scene order so if it's a dialogue scene by the end of my select roll, if you watch it you'll just see the scene in order with three takes of the same line or whatever and then you just start lifting things out saying this is out of these three this is the best one take these two away and keep going and then you eventually have the scene put together that's if I have if you have time to do all that sometimes you don't and you just have to dig into dailies and start going but if there's time to do all that that's definitely great for especially when you have to go back to it a couple months later to work with the director and you know it's, uh, it's great to have all that stuff built out
0: i find it useful too with working with directors you build it for yourself but then you find that there's a secondary use for it
1: yeah, and, and Ruben really liked the scripting too. Yeah, he did like the scripting. He, he, he loved to
0: have that. Oh, he did. And how was he? So did he just get used to like show me all the versions of that line, or how was he? Uh, what was he liking about it? How was he using it?
1: Yeah, that. I mean, it's just that he just he just there'd be times he just want to see every possible you know read on a on a specific line if there was something that tripped him up or. Yeah, and if for
2: some reason that scene wasn't scripted, we'd just go through and do a you know, a string out of that line, and here it is, here's the 20 times this person says it. What's your favorite one?
0: Yeah. Was there, was there a, a challenge, or was there something you're really proud of with the movie that you wanted to discuss?
1: I mean, I think the biggest challenge was, just, was time. Um, you know, it was, that was our biggest challenge in production, and it was our biggest challenge in finishing. It was especially big challenge for getting our visual effects finished. Um, it was just, everything, everything was so compressed. That uh, that 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 was very challenging, and we've just finished the movie, and it's you know it's coming out quite soon. So um, we needed every minute. Um, so you know, I'm 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 proud of the of, of of everyone for navigating that that process as well as they did in the in the uh, compressed time frame.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a, time was definitely the biggest challenge. Um, I think that the script was great, the actors were great. Um, so that wasn't the problem it was just getting it done in in a certain amount of time and there's this movie the scope of this movie is a lot bigger than the first one so like all the visual effects there's a lot more complicated stuff going on uh and just about every every part every aspect of the movie so yeah that was really it and we had
1: a great team i mean i don't it, it was it was a lot of work and but another thing i think we're, we're proud of you know and, and our director for sure too is um the the first one is such a hard act to follow it's such a beloved thing and it's it's you know it's only gained it's got this uh, cult status now and uh, you know found it found a wider audience on streaming and everything else and there's so many people that care so much about these characters and that and that um that developed in that first movie that that's a really hard act to follow um so the the fact that in our screenings that the the the, the audience very consistently thought it was a, a worthy follow-up to the first movie um, is something that we're, that we're very, you know, happy and, and proud about and, and hope it carries on to the wider audience. When, as the film gets out there, but that, um, you know, pe- people really enjoyed spending the time with these characters again and thought that we had, um, you know, done, done, done them done. justice. Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know about Chris, what? cause I didn't look up your IMDB, but um, I know that t- talking about cutting shorts, like in the middle of cutting features, a lot of editors will go off and cut us short. What's the value of that meeting a new director or just continuing to work or...
1: I, mean, I can answer that for myself really quickly and then I think probably put it to Chris because he may, he may know more about it than I do. I've, I've only done one short um, since I left college and it was um, just a few years ago and it was really um, a favor. I was happy to do it and I happened to have a little downtime and it was a, a friend um, that I'd worked with in the past and who asked me to do it and I was happy to do it. Um, so that was really the, the, the main and only reason um, for doing that. But I think it would be a great way to, you know, get involved with other people and, and um, you know, and also just, just try something a little, out, a little out of the box or whatever. But you've done a few. Yeah, works, right? I mean,
2: I've done a few. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I've, if you've looked on my IMDb, I'm kind of like on the cusp of making the leap from assistant to editor. So there's that, um, meeting new people. And just, you know, I have a bunch of additional and associate editor credits. And this one I'm editing with Dirk, which is amazing. Um, but, yeah, just meeting people. You know, I have a couple friends that are filmmakers that are, you know, always trying to get the get the money for their feature. And, you know, so I've helped them with their shorts. And, you know, it's, you know, maybe it'll pay off. Maybe it won't. But, you know, um, it's fun. I've met some really talented people doing that, um, you know, so yeah it's it's just a way to i have an avid at home and when i can just to keep busy and you know but on this movie
1: like i just had no time for that like i (laughs) I should say that right after i left college i was working in camera department and i and i did work on a couple shorts then and it was actually very helpful i got i did meet some people and i did get some work out of it um and i you know i worked with some some amazing people for a minute time that was before the editorial door opened and i went through it and stayed on that path but um Actually got to I got to work with some of the camera people that Chris has worked with on the Spielberg movies back in those days that were that ended up being like Janusz Kaminski's crew and it was a it was a great experience and that was all came out of working on a on a couple of shorts when I first got to LA so there's definitely I think there's definitely value in it
2: yeah it's it's almost like another, it's like a side hustle kind on. of thing yeah, yeah side hustle
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you have a VFX background too. Have you been a VFX editor?
1: I've been a VFX editor as yeah. well. I think Chris has yeah, too. Yeah, I have right? too on a couple movies. Yeah. I did a couple of, um, the the uh, Guillermo del Toro movies that he shot in Prague when I was living over there um, in the in the aughts. Um, I worked on Blade Two and, and uh, Hellboy the first one. Um, I was a VFX editor on those on those two. Um, and then and i've had you know also on like like journey uh worked with the same vfx editor that we're with now that was a very vfx heavy movie so i've, I've got a have had a pretty i have a pretty deep background in the effects and chris has worked on a lot of those types of movies yeah well. i was
2: i was the vfx editor on across the universe and i've done other vfx editing um i think now with i mean this movie had a lot of effects in it but even a a simple drama you could have Three or four hundred effects, and I mean, it's just as an editor, you have to know about all that stuff nowadays. It's, it's so, it's just becoming more and more technical every every as time progresses. It's just it's
0: and just, and is that uh, background uh, serving you well is, on a movie like this? Even though you've got a VFX editor working on the movie?
2: Oh yeah, because there were there were times where like I would be cutting a scene with Ruben, and he'd be like, "Hey, a car drove by. Can you paint that out?" And rather than you know, go to Ed, and buy, I'd just do it. It'd take me 10 minutes, I'd do it, he would go to the bathroom, the car would be painted out, and then at the end of the day, when Ruben would go home, I'd say, Ed, here's a new shot for you to add to your list, and you know,
1: just things things like that come up all the time. we both tend to do a lot of our own, like, quick temps like that, or at least the splits and things like that, that some editors might have somebody else do that for them, but um, we tend to do things like that that, that that come up in the course of the day. Um, we also were very lucky, we had a Someone who came on as, a, as an extremely overqualified post-production assistant um, who ended up being an assistant on the show but had um, an had a, a, extremely... An After Effects wizard. Basically. Yeah, he's an After Effects wizard. And he did an oh, amazing really? amount of, of brilliant VFX temps for us with all the blood and, and, and shooting and every kind of possible thing you can imagine and debris and all, all sorts of stuff. And we were able to present Ruben even when he got back. Uh, to see his assembly with the cut that had already like a ton of stuff on it, and then through his director's cut, kept evolving mainly because of that one person, Dom Rollandelli, who uh, who did um, so much of that kind of work for us. Uh, that was amazing, and without that, because a lot of our VFX, you know, the, the studio wants to wait for approvals before they start signing checks to get things done. So um, it was it was largely thanks to him that we were able to get the movie as far as as we were before um, we entered our very short time frame to get our real VFX done.
0: Gentlemen, I really uh, enjoyed our conversation. Good luck with the movie. I'm sure it's going to do great. I am one of those uh, many Zombieland 1 fans, so I can't wait to see it.
2: Can't wait for it to be out there. Yeah,
1: hope you like it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out Pro Video Coalition for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Thanks again to my guests, Dirk Westervelt, A.C.E., and Chris Patterson. I'm Steve Hulfish. If this is a podcast you got something out of, give us a like, leave a comment, and make sure to tell a filmmaking friend.